So many of us go through life wanting more, believing if we just had more stuff, more things, more money, then we'd be happy. The problem is, we don't realize that what we have isn't who we are. Instead of trying to get rich, we must realize that we already are rich. So with God's help, it's time to be rich in what matters most. Good morning. Let's be light. There it is. Wow, what a great time of worship today. Aren't you glad your hope is in Jesus? Hey, have you ever done anything, like, really stupid? Don't raise your hand. Come on. Have you ever done anything that almost removed you from the gene pool? You know? Anybody? Yeah, okay. Well, I have. How about that? I've done probably more than once, but about 10 years ago, my wife and I were living in Altamont and uh, pulled up to a gas station, a gas station that I'd never been to before, got out, and I, you know, I I went to pull the hose out of the thing, you know, and as I did it, the hose was all kind of kinked up, and I don't know how this happened. I still, I have no words to explain what took place over the next three, four, five seconds, but as I pulled the nozzle out, I was trying to unkink the hose and the which pointed right at me and then somehow my finger pushed and I mean a gush of gasoline from head to toe and I'm just like it's all over Jesus just take me home I'm like somebody's gonna light up a cigarette I mean like I can't believe this is it's like that's a hashtag we all do stupid right that was that was dumb that was dumb. You can say it. That was dumb. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, we, Jesus still loves me. Jesus still loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. That's why I'm here today. The fact is we all do stupid things in life. And, and, and like that, God had mercy on me, and uh, no one lit a match, and no one decided to smoke a cigarette. Or, I mean, I was just covered. I was drenched in that moment. And God had mercy, and I'm here today to tell you the rest of the story. There's a guy in the Bible. He did something really dumb but he didn't get another chance. He did something really dumb, but he didn't get another chance. We're in our series entitled Being Rich Towards God. Being Rich Towards God or Being Rich in the Things That Matter Most. If you have your Bible, I want you to stand. We're going to read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. We're going to begin with verse number 13. Luke 12, beginning with verse number 13. Everyone got it? Read off the screen. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, hey, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Here's my big idea today. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. 
You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Our pastoral prayer moment this morning, we are praying for the River of Life Church in Oviedo, Oviedo, Florida. Kevin, Pastor Kevin and Danielle Kionis are the pastors there, and they're two little beautiful little twin babies. And we're going to pray the blessing of God over this church as we also ask the Lord to bless our service today. Father, we thank you today for Pastor Kevin and Danielle. Thank you for the work that you have done through them in this great church in Oviedo, Lord. Oviedo, for all the lives that have been touched and all the families that have encountered your grace. Lord, I pray a great blessing upon Kevin and, and upon Danielle today. Give them strength as they lead this great church into the future that you have for them. But we are so grateful that we can partner with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ who want to make your name famous in their generation. And we bless them today. And, Father, for our service today, thank you for what you did in the first service. And, God, I'm asking for your grace in the second service. God, for everyone here to have an ear to hear and a heart that's open. And, God, I need a mouth to speak. I can't do this without you. I, I, I desperately need you, Jesus. I don't take it for granted that your grace is upon me to communicate the truth of your word. And, Lord, we ask this in your wonderful and your mighty and your awesome name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Three weeks ago, we talked about what it means to be rich. And we talked about some of the challenges with poverty in our world, but what it really means to be rich towards God. And then the following week, Pastor Glenn preached an outstanding message on being rich is being rich in good deeds, doing good to other people. We, we played the little money hall game. You remember that? Remember the let's make a deal? We had the four we had the four boxes up on the screen, and you got to pick a box, and whatever it was, you would go and do it that week. And that was a lot of fun. It was a great challenge, a great message. Then last week we had Joanne Ramos from the City Church Seattle with us, and she talked about living wide open, you know, open hearts, open hands, and an open home, just living wide open for God. And, and it was challenging. I was really got lots of awesome feedback. She did a great job in ministry to us. And, but this morning I want to talk to us about being rich towards God, being rich in what matters most. And I want to answer this question. How can we keep from being fools with our lives. How can we keep from being fools with our lives? This is an interesting text. Jesus, in the beginning of this chapter, of chapter 12, he's giving some warnings about the future. He, he's talking about he, how people should live their life. He's encouraging the believers. He's talking to the disciples. Hey, listen, God's with you. You're valuable to God. God's spirit wants to live in you. He talked to them about, about the dimensions of the kingdom of God. And, and then all of a sudden, there's this guy. A certain man. We, we don't know who this guy is. He's just this guy. He's just in the middle of the crowd. There, there are probably thousands of people that are following Jesus. And all of a sudden, this guy, hey, Jesus, over here. Hey, hey. Uh, you, you think, you know, in Jesus' ministry, when you read the Bible, you're like, lots of people wanted his attention. True. I mean, people are clamoring around him. He's got his security team. You know, he's got, he's got his 12. They're walking down the road, and people are trying to get to him, and people are being healed, miracles are happening. When he stops to talk to the people, the things that he says people have never heard before, they're profound, they're life-changing, they're challenging, they're really, really, really true. No one's ever spoke like this before. But one guy gets his attention. This one guy gets his attention. That guy's got a problem. He says, a certain man had a dispute with his brother about what? About an inheritance. They had an inheritance issue in their family. Now, 
you look at the Bible in the Old Testament, there were a couple of different ways. It's not necessarily always really clear how an inheritance is worked out in the Old Testament. But in the law of Moses, there was a pretty good plan. God had told them, this is how you are to divide up when you get ready to die or when you pass away. This is how the family is to break up the inheritance. This man has a problem because he has a brother, and they're in conflict over the money. They're in conflict over who gets what. And this guy wants Jesus to solve his problem. Now, what I find interesting about this is Jesus is not interested in his money problem. Now, I know we tell people all the time that Jesus is interested, but in this guy's particular case, Jesus has got a bigger issue. Jesus has got a bigger issue with this guy because this guy's money problem wasn't just dividing his inheritance. This guy's money problem really went down to his heart. About uh, 11, 12 years ago, uh, one of my aunts passed away. And my aunt had always told us she she had never married, she never had any children, and she had always told us when we were kids that when she died she would give us her inheritance. And I don't know, she she worked uh, for a guy that was an investment banker and she worked for this guy for like 40 years, and she lived in California, and I don't know what she had, what she didn't have. It always seemed like to me she had whatever money for whatever she wanted to do, but she said, well, you know, when I die, you guys are going to get my money. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm just a kid. I don't know what to think about that. But about 12 years ago, I get a letter in the mail from a lawyer. Now, I have four sisters, and then in our same, my mother's side of the family, I have three other cousins. And um, so I get this letter in the mail, and it doesn't have, it's not the whole will. It's just the page that pertains to me and my sisters. And it's got all of our names on it, and all of our names are crossed out. And then there's a dollar amount that's put to the side. It was $1,000. So I don't know what the original amount that we were supposed to get was because they had blacked it out, and I had a photocopy, and I couldn't see it. But I knew that it was more than $1,000. And then at the bottom of it, it said, this money is not to be given to a local church. That's what it said. This money is not to be given. So <laughs> I got the $1,000 check with the letter. And what do you think the very first thing I did was? I gave it to the church. Of course I was. You've got to be kidding me. Now, since I didn't know what the amount was, I mean, and my other cousins, you know, I never had been in a real great relationship with them. I, don't, I didn't know them that well. I I mean, for me, I just went on with my life. I never had it. It wasn't mine to begin with, so it didn't really bug me. But I can imagine if I would have known the dollar amount, if things might not have been a little different. You know, because there's something about money and families. You know, when family go into business, so many times it gets really complicated. And this guy's got a problem. This guy's got a really, really big problem. And Jesus is not necessarily concerned about that problem. Jesus is concerned about a bigger problem. The truth is Jesus was going to nail this guy between the eyes about the issue of his heart. And I don't think he was ready for it. As a matter of fact, a lot of people in our culture today say they want Jesus. So, Jesus, you know, I I read about Jesus, I like Jesus, but I don't know about that church stuff. I don't need to go to church to have a relationship with God. And that's true. But let me tell you, Jesus has a problem with you. You know why he has a problem with you? Because Jesus died on the cross for the church. Not for a building, but for people who worship him and who are called by his name. Jesus died for them. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. And he commanded us to gather together. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of one another, so that you may encourage one another as the days go evil. 
so the challenge for the believer today, the, the challenge for this man today is that Jesus had some really pointed words about money, about resources, about the future that was to come. I want you to look at verse number 15. First, I want you to see Jesus gives a really strong warning. Jesus gives a really strong warning. He says, watch out. Everyone say, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Here's the deal today. Here's the deal today. Jesus had a problem with this man's perception or this man's perspective or this man's understanding. That was really his problem. Jesus had a problem with the way that this man perceived the value of money in his life. When I look at this story, Jesus immediately starts to tell the story or this parable. When Jesus walked on planet Earth, Jesus told over 40 of these parables. And almost 20 of these parables had to do with stewardship and the management of your resources and of your money. Now, I I just reported what Jesus did because Jesus knew that people had a tendency to really put their hope in wealth and possessions and stuff and things. Jesus knew that 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 wasn't a person's life. Jesus was dealing with this man's issue. I want you to see just a couple things that Jesus doesn't say. First of all, Jesus doesn't condemn this man for hard work. I mean, when we look at this man in the parable, Jesus says, hey, this guy, man, he shouldn't have worked six days. He shouldn't have prospered. He He shouldn't have done that. No, that's not what Jesus says at all. Jesus never condemned him for hard work. Jesus never condemns this man for making a profit. As a matter of fact, if you're a business owner, if you're going to work, the expectation is that you're going to work for what? Money. And the goal of owning a business or the goal of working is that you make money. And if you're a business owner, the goal is to make a profit. And Jesus never condemns him for making a profit. He just doesn't. That's, that's not the issue at hand, at hand here. Jesus doesn't condemn him necessarily because he wanted to build bigger barns. The problem isn't, the problem isn't what, what, what he did do. It's why he did it. The problem isn't what he did do. The problem is what he didn't do. Why wasn't he rich towards God? He had a wrong perspective. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says this man said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. I, 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 I. And I'll say to myself, myself, I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. That's what he said. I want to go sit on a beach in Tahiti and have a Mai Tai in my hand and a hammock and just live out my day with some girls fanning me with, the, with, with some pom-poms. I just want to live all for me. Eat, drink, and be merry. Come on. There, there, he lived like most people live, believing that there wasn't a day coming where he'd give an account for his life. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about I, my stuff, what I can get, what I can at a mass. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down these barns. I'll build bigger ones. And I'll live for myself. I'll take life easy. And bam, Jesus nails him. Jesus nails him. St. Augustine, a 5th century monk, said this about this man. This man failed to realize that the bellies of the poor are a better storehouse for his grain than for his own barns. You know, we live in a culture today where everybody wants it quick, quick money, easy money. I mean, professional athletes, these guys are phenomenally talented in whatever they do. And 
all of a sudden, you know, they're just, they go through high school and they end up in college and they sign a, a contract, a professional contract for $30 million. Several years ago, we had a guy come and speak at our church named Sean Elliott. He was 2005 NFL MVP. And, and I remember talking to him. I spent a couple of days. I, I got to show up from around Orlando for a little bit. He's a really nice guy. And he said it was amazing. He said, I, I signed this contract with the Seahawks for $30 million. What do you do when your life is handed $30 million bucks and you've never had anything? Bam! And that psyche is in our culture. I, I put a little thing up yesterday online about people that play the lottery. I just wonder. I just, you know, I just, you know, the chances, okay, here's the deal, guys. The chances are three times greater of you being stung by a bumblebee and dying than you ever win the lottery. <laughs> I don't know. That's the odds, you know. Statistically, this is a fact. The state of Florida, people that make under $12,500 a year spend 5% of their income on the lottery. Why do, why do people do that? You know why people do that. Because they're hoping the big, they're hoping to hit the big one. There's this mindset in our culture that somehow magically, magically, this is all going to go away. You know the problem with this man. Say he worked hard. He was diligent. He did a lot of good things. He produced a product that people needed. I mean, people need food, and he made it. And he was, and he was successful by the world standards. But I want you to see what Jesus says to him. Look at verse number 20. Jesus gives him a stinging rebuke. He says, you fool. You fool. That's pretty strong. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to his disciples, if you call someone a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. For Jesus, actually in the Greek, in the Greek, the, 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 the tenure of this context is you damned fool. Strong. Strong words. Why? Why would Jesus call this guy a fool? You know why? Because this man never gave credit for his abundance to God. He never gave credit. It was all about me. I did this. I worked for this. I made this happen. He never once gave credit to the God that gave him breath, that gave him strength, that gave him the ability, according to Deuteronomy, it is God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He never once gave credit to God. He made plans for his life, but he left God out of the equation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to plan. I'm going to save my, 40, my, 40, my, my 401k. I, I'm going to do this and put this money and buy this house and pay this off. And never think about eternity. Never think about what really matters most in God's kingdom. He spent all of his resources. It was all about him. The fact is he stored his excess in the wrong place. He put his investment, his eternal investment, in the wrong place. Did God condemn him for making money? Did God condemn him for having a plan? Of course not. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God talking about stewardship. We see God talking about a steward taking five and turning it into five more. He was a wise steward. This man failed to realize that there was a day coming. And there's a day coming for all of us. We're going to give an account to our lives to God. And Jesus gives a simple solution. Look at verse number 21. It says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Rich towards God. He had a choice. He had a choice to choose in this life to do the things that really matter. He did. He just, he had a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. Every person in this room, we have a choice to make about our lives, our future, what we're going to do with them, how we're going to spend them. 
Last week we were challenged uh, with uh, 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 Joanne Ramos' message. Where she challenged us with our time. Where do we invest our time? Where do we spend our time? The, the talents, the abilities that God has given you, do you use them just so you can get for yourself and no more? Or are you using those talents to help other people? Our treasure, the resources that God has given us. Jesus gave a simple solution. He said, hey, this, it was up to this man. This man made the wrong choice. He chose to live for himself. I used to live for myself. I know exactly what that is. I know what it is to be all about me, my pleasure, my experiences, my wants. But one day something happened. I had an encounter with Jesus. I encountered Jesus, and I realized that my life if it, it was going to have significance. I had to give my life to the things that mattered most. Jim Elliott was a missionary to El Salvador, and he said these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. <laughs> You know, these messages like this, they're challenging because Jesus said some really strong things. What really matters most in my life and in your life? What really matters most? What's the most important thing? So this guy was worried about his inheritance. Jesus was worried about his heart. I said, well, I want to get real bare wire. I'm just going to get real transparent, real honest. This is risky. I want to tell you how I've personally done it. How I personally not let money and possessions be my God. Because the fact is, it's really easy to live your life for stuff. We all like nice stuff. We all want a nice car, a nice home. I want my kids to go to good home. We're all for that. Because as we heard Paul say in Timothy, God gives us all things to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy life. We believe in the best life. But if you put the best life above God's life, you're greatly mistaken. You're greatly mistaken. These words will come back to haunt you. If you choose to go the wrong direction. This man, he died. His soul was required of him that night. I came to Christ in 1983, and the very first thing I realized, you know, man, I never had enough money. I never had enough money. I was always struggling financially. My father had always struggled financially, and I realized that God had a better way, a better plan. So I got my Bible, and I started reading my Bible, and I read everything that the Bible had to say about money. The Bible says a lot of good things about money. Money does a lot of good things. I, I just, my cousin posted online, she lives in Tucson, Arizona. Somebody just gave the University of Arizona $50 million for some research program. Wow. I mean, money has a lot of potential to do good. Phenomenal potential. I mean, we have this Ebola crisis taking place in Africa right now, and, and the people that are going to help solve that problem have money. Whether you like it or not, that's a fact. And I want to be part of that. I want to be part of saving lives. Come on, anybody here agree? And we think everybody else should do it. What about us? I mean, what is our part in this? I mean, someone who has a lot of money is going to step up, and there's going to be institutions, because, you know, the problem is if this thing gets out of control, it could be a big problem for all of us. The fact is, the fact is today, money has a great power to do good, but also has a great potential for evil. I read everything the Bible had to say. 
Joshua chapter 1, listen to what the Bible says. The book, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What does the Bible say about money? Find out for yourself. I mean, this isn't magic. God's words are true. I studied the Bible I, I, for myself. I really, really delved into the Bible, and I allowed God's Word to speak to me, and I got faith. What I learned is that I had to really trust God for my finances in my life. I had to trust God. Luke chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus talks about trusting God. Look what he says here in verse number 28. Jesus, he says these words. He says, listen, and if God so cares so wonderfully that you are here today, that the flowers are here today and throw it into the fire. Will he not certainly care for you? Why do you have so little faith? Do you have a God? You have a God today that sees everything. You have a God that knows everything. You have a God today that cares. You are more valuable than the birds of the air. You are way more valuable than the lilies of the field. They never toil. They never worry. They never fret. You know, animals, they don't fret about it. They just dig out of the garbage can. You know, they're not worried about it, right? They have a natural instinct to just have a trust. Our natural instinct is not to trust because we want to control our world and our environment. And God says, I want you to trust me. 1991, my wife and I were living in Seattle, and we had started an inner city work. God had really helped us. I was just finishing Bible college, and we were in the inner city, and we had a huge bus program picking up children in the community. We had an outreach to the homeless. We were busing homeless into our church. We had a English as a second language ministry that we'd have like maybe 50, sometimes 100 first-generation immigrants, either from Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Philippines, that would come, and we would teach them ESL. All these different things happened. The church was exploding. But it was an inner-city church, and there was no money. And so I was traveling. I was going to these wealthier churches in the suburbs, and, and, and this one particular Saturday night, we had a need. I mean, fact is this church here doesn't exist if someone doesn't give. That's just the fact. The people that give their first 10% their tithe, they're the ones that make the dream work here. They're the ones that allow us to do wide open church. They're the ones that allow us to run the school. They're the ones, I mean, that's how it works. And I had an eat. It was actually, I remember it was $10,000. I needed $10,000. We had gone to the county fair, my wife and I, and uh, the next day we were going to be ministering in this church. And I remember that feeling of not having not having enough. I remember that feeling. It was just not a good feeling. Like I started to feel that anxiety build up and that fear a little bit. And God just spoke to me. And this word, he just simply said, just ask. Just ask me. I took my wife's hand and I just prayed. I said, God, I'm asking you today. I'm speaking to this mountain. I'm, I'm believing that you're going to supply this need. And I, when I prayed with my wife, and listen, if you're a married couple here today, pray with your spouse. There's something powerful about that. It's the prayer of agreement where two or three are gathered together in my name. And I prayed. Just ask the Father, who's a good dad, who desires the good. And listen, guys, this wasn't even for me, because I could have went home and you know, I wasn't getting paid to do what I was doing. I was just I was a volunteer. I was volunteer pastor full time. I wasn't getting paid to do that. I never took a paycheck from that ministry. I gave my life to it. And I remember the next Sunday we went to this church and I spoke and we had some children singing a little choir. God just showed up and people started giving and. and at the end of the service, and we were getting ready to leave, the pastor came up, and he was just beaming. And we had a $10,000. The, the people had given, like, $10,327. Come on, 
Come on, give God a big hand. God showed me something at that very moment. God showed me that I had to trust him for everything in my life. And you have to trust God. If you don't have to trust God today, you probably have to trust God tomorrow. I had to learn to live by faith and not by sight. I had to learn that the Father was my provider and my source. Fast forward. You know, because the last thing, the last thing that I discovered about God, the thing that's probably the most crucial to really putting our trust in God, is that I had to put God first in everything. I had to put God first. I, I had to do it. I had to live the life. I, I had to, I, I had to put Him first. That first, that first was the first ten percent. That first ten percent of, of everything I've made since I've been a believer, I've given to Jesus. When I first got saved, I. I remember, I'm thinking, well, this isn't that hard. I spent way more on myself. I spent way more drinking it down my throat or putting it up my nose or wherever I put it. I spent way more doing stuff for myself. I never had enough. I just, when I came to Jesus and the pastor said, you know, this is what the Bible says. Honor the Lord with the first fruits, the first 10% of all your substance. He said, this is the promise of God. I just believed it, and I started doing it. I put the thing that mattered to God most first. And you know what matters to God most? You know what matters to God most first is His church, because the church, the local church, is the expression of God and planet Earth to give hope in the name of Jesus to the whole world. It's the hope of the world. I believe that with all of my heart. So how do I do it? I I, I automate the necessary. I automate what's important. My wife and I, from the day we got saved, what attracted me to my wife, what attracted one of the things, besides she was beautiful and gorgeous, what attracted me is she was so generous. She was like the most generous. I'd never met a person who was always giving gifts. And so we made this commitment. We're going to give to God first in our life. We're going to give him our first 10%. And then we give gifts. We give secretly to people. We, we give presents to people. We love to be generous because it's the heart of God. The heart of God. The Bible says that God gave you his only son. God gave you his best. I love to give to God. It's going to be real transparent. We, how do I free myself from the love of money and possessions? Because God has blessed me. God has blessed me. I've been, I, I started off with nothing with my wife. We started off with a little two-bedroom apartment on a sleeping bag for three months with an ironing table as our kitchen dining room table, an ironing board as our kitchen table. I mean, I've seen the hand of God. And I believe what I'm telling you today is God's word. It's true given to what matters most to God and that is to others. I've made that the top priority in my life. So here's our story. Here's our story. In 1998 in January, God spoke to me that we were going to start a church. I didn't know that it was going to be in Orlando, Florida. I was living in Seattle. I'd only been the previous summer to visit Mickey. I'd never, you know, I didn't even, I didn't know anything about Orlando other than Mickey Mouse. 1998, God spoke to me that I was going to start over the next couple months, it kept growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And I knew, I knew. And my wife had a great job. And, and I was on staff at a great church. And things were going really well. We had two little boys. And we were blessed beyond belief. And I couldn't shake this. My wife was like, oh, just shut up. You know, we did that already. What are you talking about? God's good. We're living a good life here. And I said, no, there's, we got to do this. Long and short of it, I... As God spoke to my heart, I remember very clearly where I was at. God told me it was time. I just remember it like yesterday. 
That was a Saturday. I was laying in bed with my wife, and I said, God, I don't know why I said this. I don't really know why I said, God, if you want us to go to Florida. So I'm living in Seattle. Florida's not, it's not like Florida's on my mind. You know? I'd never even been to the beaches of Florida. I just went to Mickey. That's it. I landed at Mickey. I never left Toursville down there. I said, God, if you want us to go to Florida, all of a sudden they packed. They want me to Florida to start a church. That was Saturday. The next day was Sunday. The next day was Sunday. I went to church. And this woman came up to me and she said, you know, she said, Pastor, she goes, have you ever thought about starting a church before? And I'm an associate. When you're an associate, people talk to you about that. You're like, no, 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 we don't do that. I don't, that's not what I'm about. She said, why don't you go to Florida and start a church and we'll go with you? I'm like, oh, come on. What are you saying? Are you kidding me? And so we started the church. There were three couples that moved here, my wife and I, another couple. No one was rich. We were just working people. All three of us sold everything we had. And we didn't just give a little penance in. We gave our all. We gave our lives. We gave our time. We gave our talent. And we gave tens of thousands of dollars to start the church. Right? That's how it happened. And so we started the church in Ultima Springs. And God blessed us. And it was hard. And it wasn't easy. And we moved around. And there have been some people that are here this morning that were with us through the journey. There were lots of challenges. We found ourselves in Longwood. And in Longwood, we were renting a, a pretty nice building right where that, it's where Four Rivers is now. But right behind there, there was a big grocery store called Publix, and it had gone out of business. And we rented that and converted that into a church. And, and we were worshiping God there, and God had blessed us. And the owner came to me one day and said, hey, next month your rent is tripled. Now, listen, we didn't have triple the money to pay for rent. And I'm going to cut your space in half. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. We had a huge children's ministry, and they ended up being out in the back loading dock, you know, where the grocery stores have it. And they had built a little canopy with the guy's Jaguar that owned the complex. And, and so on Sundays, that little canopy with the Jaguar turned into a children's ministry out there in the back. I knew we had to do something. This building became available. It had been for sale for about a year, and I was like, no. I mean, come on, from Altamont, we're Altamont, Longwood, go to Sanford. You've got to be kidding me. And I remember we walked into this building. We walked into this building, and I didn't have no choice. I mean, this is the only we had to move from Longwood. We had to take the church family. We were about 300 people at the time. We had to go take the next step. And so that's what we did. I stood in this auditorium with about 12 people, and I remember as I was standing, I said, this building is not big enough. This building is not big enough for what God wants to do in this city. And we've seen that. We had three services last week three Sunday morning services, we had 727 people in a campus that was designed in the 1950s for 190. It's just amazing what God, you come here on a Wednesday night, you see the youth church wide open with all the different programs, the rangers, every class. We try to find classes to go to ministries, and we're out of room. You know, I, I, I look at our season, I look at where we're at in life, and what I realize Bringing God's love to the city was made possible because people who put God first in their life. They put God first in their life, and they were willing to give it all. They were willing to say, God, I give everything to you. They're willing to make that kind of commitment. Because the fact is you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Today's a really interesting day. Today is an exciting day for us, the church family. Because uh, uh, this moment, our current situation, leaves us we got to take another step. I knew the day that we bought this building. I knew 
the day that we moved in here that this wasn't going to be our final resting place. Some of you, you're brand new to City Church, and I understand you don't, you're just trying to track with me where I'm going. But we have another step to go. We have another opportunity to go. And we have a group of leaders here that have told, that made an incredible commitment. And I'm going to introduce them at this time. But before I do, I want you to, I want you to watch the sneak preview. That's a sneak preview. I've got an incredible team behind me that I want to introduce to you because God has called us to reach more people. The first person that I'm going to introduce to you is Joyce Schauer. Her and her husband, Hank, were, were the original founding members of my wife and I. They moved all the way from Seattle. They sold everything. They sold their house. They took an early retirement and came. And I want you to give Joyce Schauer a great big hand. Let's come on over here. Joyce Schauer is our co-campaign director of our REACH campaign. And in just a moment, everyone should have a card like this we're going to give to you. Choices. And then the next gentleman, he's been at City Church for a little over three years now. Uh, he's also co-director with Joyce, and he's an incredible man. His heart for this city, his love for this church. He's the captain of our deacons here at City Church and the smartest guy in the room, Richard Miles. He's also core coordinator, campaign director of this REACH campaign. Let's go, big hand. They are going to... Uh, introduce. They're going to give all the names. I'm going to help you out here, Richard. So they're going to give all the names of everybody on the team. And uh, then I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about where we're at right now in our journey at City Church. So if you wouldn't mind just holding your applause until we're all done introducing everybody. Got some amazing people up here. Um, Pastor Laura, she's not here right now. She's still recovering from her surgery. But her title is going to be Reach Administrator. And she's going to make sure everything keeps flowing, just like she does every Sunday and all during the week. She's an amazing woman of God. Amen. We love Pastor Lori. We also have Pastor Glenn, who's going to be our promotion and youth director. Amazing things. We know that so much of what God does begins with the young people. These next two ladies are probably two of the most creative women here in the church. This is Linda Fowler and Jana Crater. And they are going to be our special events directors. They're going to make sure that everything looks very pretty and that everything is very hospitable for you when you come to our special events. I love pretty. We also have Dawn Benjamin. We're so glad to have her. She's going to be leading a very special position as our prayer leader. Nothing would be possible without going to God first. So we thank you so much for her willingness to pray faithfully. Next is our amazing children's pastor, Pastor Kristen Hayes. And she's going to be teaching your children about generosity and how to be wise with their money as well. And then the next group of gentlemen we have are our advisors for our campaign. They're going to be stowing upon us the wisdom in each of these areas as well as praying for the team consistently. We have Brother Kip Williams. We have Brother Dave Lee. We have Brother Marcus Gauze. We have Brother Jimmy Watson. And we have Brother Bruce Scott. We've also invited to come up and join us. Uh, Brother Keith Tominski, to pray on behalf of the deacon team for all that all that's happening and transpiring, that we might walk in God's footsteps every step of the way, looking to him to reach more and more of this community for his service. That's right. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the growth that we've experienced as a church. We celebrate every child, God, every mom, dad, husband, wife, God, every family that has been changed, God. We thank you, God, that we are bursting at the seams, God, that we have experienced exponential growth in this church, Father. And we just pray over our future, over our next steps, God, over this team, God, over our pastor, God, over the entire leadership team, God, that as we pioneer forward and tread new ground, Father, that you would begin to open doors and close doors. And Father, I pray that you would bring increase. I pray that you would help this team and help our leadership team be led by your spirit when it comes to making decisions. And and Father, I just pray for our church. God, I pray that we would just develop a hunger, God, a hunger for seeing more people saved, more young children come to you, God, more families saved, God, that you would begin to develop that and let that permeate our church, God, that that would be our heart, God, that would be our passion is seeing lives changed, God. It's not about a dollar. It's not about a building, God. It's not about a a pastor or a specific leader, God, but it is about your kingdom advancing. And Father, I pray that you would help us, God, God, just envelop us with that faith and passion as you have for lost, God. And we just pray you bless God everything this team does everything they put their hands to God and every decision made we're so thankful for what's ahead for City Church God and we celebrate that today in Jesus name Amen Amen Our ushers, Amen that's a good prayer Keith thank you our campaign is called reach reach more reach Sanford reach Lake Mary reach the next generation I am totally committed in this season of my life to reaching the next generation for Jesus Christ. We have a little card right here, and everyone can participate. The ushers, would you guys go ahead and start passing them out? But every row is going to have a card come by. I want everyone just to take a card. And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to walk through this card. But the front of the card, it says, so that God's grace may reach more and more people. God's grace may reach more and more people. Because it's not about me. It's not even about you anymore. It's about what God wants to do in this city. Lives changed. So many lives changed. Countless lives changed. Our current facility has become inadequate to house the thousand people a week who call City Church their home or their school. And our call to bring God's love to the city one person at a time has not changed. Before us today, there's an opportunity to acquire an existing church facility right here in the Sanford community. It seats over 800 people. It's on 12 acres. We have 192 seats. We have three acres and room for future expansion. It's been said that the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of that opportunity. Now is the time for us to move forward. Now is the time, church family. God is speaking to us. Our leadership team, we are in agreement. Everyone on the team that stands up, we're all in agreement. God's speaking to us. It's time to move forward. And all of us can have a part of it. Go to the back side here. I'm going to read this to you. It says, and all of us can at least check something off. At least you can put your name on. I'm going to read through this card. I'm going to have you check off the thing. You're going to tear off the portion on the bottom. I want you to keep the top part for yourself. The ushers are going to put buckets along the front. And then we're going to dismiss you row by row. We're going to have you come and put your, your commitment card. I'm not asking you for money today. But the first thing I'm going to ask you to do as a church family I'm going to ask you to pray for God to bless our REACH campaign. And everyone can do that. Everyone can do something. You can at least pray. I'm going to ask you to, those of you that are members of our church, those of you attenders of our church, to say yes if you're asked to help this campaign in any way. And the third thing I want our church family to start to pray about is what your financial commitment is going to be. 
and then you can check off the box. I'm going to check. I'm going to check all three because I'm I'm all the way in. Then I'm going to put my name, Eugene Smith. I put the date 9:21:14. And then on the bottom part, this is your portion to keep. I want you to put the date 9:21:14, and then you check your box again. I'm going to check all three boxes. After you fill this out, when you finish filling it out, I want you to stand, and the worship team is going to lead us in a song. If you, fill, if you finish filling it out, you can just go ahead. 